0: focusing on everything other than eternal matters. Every bit of what the the rich man in this parable was focusing on had nothing to do of eternal value. And you can see that by basically a a homeless person sitting right outside his gate, and he did nothing for him. Here is a, a mansion, and there's a poor guy, and nothing was done there. He just focused on himself. Um, Another example we can see for this is uh, Luke 10, 18 to 20. So Jesus told this even to his own disciples. This is when Jesus had the, the 72 following him, not just to his 12, but to the 72 disciples. And Luke 10, 18 to 20 He was speaking to them in the midst of doing all these amazing and exciting things. So if you were a disciple and Jesus said, go out and do miracles, that would be pretty exciting, right? And so that's what they came back and told Jesus. They said, Jesus, this is amazing. We have been casting out demons. We have been healing the sick. We have been rebuking the spirits. We have been doing the miraculous. And how does Jesus respond He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Jesus essentially was declaring them invincible and able to do things that no normal person should be able to do. And yet, he says, nevertheless, which means forget all that I just said, This is what truly matters. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says that the fact that they have received salvation and their names are written in heaven is more glorious than all the miraculous things that they have been doing. That nothing can hurt them and they are doing miracles. That is nothing to rejoice about over they have salvation. I'll call it our, our sinful nature. We diminish uh, the moment somebody becomes saved to like, no, but there, there's greater things to come. And sometimes we forget, actually, that is the single greatest thing of all is the moment somebody receives salvation and is sealed and has that. He knows you by name. He loves you. You are his child. And even John the Baptist, Luke 7, again, we're, we're going to spend a lot of time in Luke for references. Luke 7, 26 to 28, is John the Baptist being talked about by Jesus. And Jesus actually said that he is the greatest man on earth, born of woman. He's it. Greatest. And yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, greater than John the Baptist, the least in the kingdom of heaven. God gives a, a special grace and love and honor and care to those who cannot enjoy the, the fruits of the world as God intended, as as God made creation to be. We just went through Genesis, so I know you all know, when God created the world, he created it perfect and beautiful. There was no poverty and homelessness. There was no anger and malice that leads to murder. There was no beating each other down. There was no adultery. Marriage was perfect. Jesus spoke to this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6. He said, to this sin being in the world, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the persecuted. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to understand this, because if we haven't experienced it, but when he's talking about uh, the lowly brother being in, in poverty. Uh, I can easily understand this in terms of if you've been a college student, like you know what it is to to be poor. Like I am not living with money. As a college student, you, you learn poor. That's still not poverty. Poverty is is I always encourage people to go on mission trips to other countries to see how other people live. Because then you get to go into villages where you're there to share the gospel. And so because of that, uh, a family will invite you into their home, and their home being essentially the, what we would call a shack in our backyard. And in there, they have a, a pantry, which their pantry is a couple of shelves nailed to the wall. And from that, they have food that they're sharing with you because they want to show you their love and appreciation for bringing the message of the gospel here. And as you eat the food, it's probably not going to be as uh, tasty and delicious as what Chick-fil-A or something like that might be. But you eat it because you want to respect them giving you their food. And then as you leave, that's when you realize the meal that they just made and, and shared with you was half of their food stores. Like, you just ate half of what they have to feed their family on. But you accept that because they, in their love and contentment, want to be a blessing to you, want to give something to you, and that's all they have to give. That's poverty. That's what he's speaking here of the lowly brother, boast in his exaltation. And we will look at that and say, what exaltation? That's not being exalted, that's living in poverty. No, boast. That they have salvation. This life only lives, only lasts, sometimes one year, sadly, and maximum 120 years. This isn't what we're living for. So we live here boasting, praise God, I have salvation. That is the most important thing. Your whole being can find contentment by entrusting everything in your life to God. If you want to find contentment, boost in the things God has done. Not what you have, but because He is enough. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has to buy that field. Matthew 13, 44. The more we realize that God is the greatest treasure in our lives and nothing else compares, the more we can be content with less of what the world provides because we know God is in heaven. And every time we're hurting, every time we are having less than, Jesus is there saying, I love you. And when you get here, you have no idea what I have in store. It is amazing. I want you here with me. But while you are there, we are meant to be used for sharing the gospel because we believe Jesus is coming back to restore everything. Until then, this is our purpose. Heaven is far greater than even the sweetest riches of what this world will provide. So as we move to the the rich man, the the age-old question, Can you have wealth? Can you be rich and be a Christian? Yes. To be a Christian, again, doesn't mean you have to be poor and homeless. It doesn't. You you can have money. Yet, we know also Jesus said it is impossible for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, to, to be saved. But he says after that, with God, all things are possible. So let the rich man boast in his humiliation. Is, is his response to this. So you would say, okay, so then I have to be humiliated? Yes. That's, 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 that's part of the equation. So rich plus humiliation equals salvation in the eyes of the world. So you are to boast above all else, I am rich in Christ, no matter what I have, no matter what is in my life, it is his. And what does that look like? Uh, again, first we'll look at what it does not look like. Pastor Jared shared last week about the rich fool. No, sorry. Um, rich fool first. Luke 12 talks about a man who used his wealth in, in ways that were totally selfish. So he, he built a, a barn to basically house All of his wealth. And then as he gained more wealth, what did he do? Tore that barn down, built another barn, a bigger one, and stored all the rest of his wealth. In that way, God said, your life will be forfeit because you are not using what I have given you for the good of the gospel. You have used it simply to store in a barn and do nothing. Just like the servant who had one talent and buried it in the ground, and then when the master came back, he took that talent out of the ground and said, here you go, I did absolutely nothing with this. It's a way of asking the question, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? Whatever that looks like, what did you do with the gifts? And so a good practice of how to think through that question is, how did I boast to the glory of God? With whatever God has given me, how did I boast to the glory of God? And so we'll look at the most mind-bending example in Scripture of what it looks like for a rich man to exalt and boast in his humiliation. Luke 19 shows Jesus and Zacchaeus. And so last week, Pastor Jared mentioned the rich young ruler who Jesus said, give away everything you have and give it to the poor and he couldn't do it. We're going to look at basically the opposite of this. Someone who uh, is very big in wealth. So Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector and in verse 2 it even says he was rich and you could almost say in that context he was filthy rich. He was stinking rich. He was very rich in Unrighteous wealth. Uh, So as a tax collector, it was basically the the way that they worked. You made good money already from your job, but you made even more by basically taking advantage of your, your clients. And unfortunately, a lot of those clients were your neighbors. So for that reason, tax collectors would often live outside of their community that they were taxing because all those people hated them. Also, because they worked for Rome, which they also hated. So, my neighbors, I'm taxing you and taking advantage of you, exploiting the fact that Rome is over us, also taking advantage of you. It was a very bad job. But he did it, he was very wealthy. And if you all remember, uh, Luke 19 details the most unlikely of encounters and events, which Jesus often did. Truly a miracle happened this day, right here. So Jesus, lo and behold, came to his village. He was walking in, crowds were coming, and because Zacchaeus, if, if you remember, he was a shorter guy, so he didn't have the benefit of being like seven feet tall and saying, there's Jesus. So what did he do? They even wrote a children's song about it. He climbed up a sycamore tree. Crazy thing. Uh, one, back in that day, even for wealthy people to run, was socially awkward. You're not supposed to run if you're a wealthy, older man. He climbed up a tree. And when he saw Jesus, Jesus saw him back, which Jesus often does. Even when you don't know it, Jesus saw you. And I can just picture it, this crowd of people. Jesus saw a man up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to eat at your house. That changed his world. And you see it because of how he responded. He came down, it says in Luke 19:8. Lord. Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Every time I read this, it's it's hard for me because admittedly, I could easily blame it on my parents or me being born in America or whatever. But the truth is, it's just... It's my sinful nature. This would be hard for me. I want you to understand what happened here. It doesn't say that he came down from the tree and Jesus went up to him and said, Zacchaeus, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He just did it. Zacchaeus came down from the tree And he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what Jesus represented. He knew the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, and he responded. He came to Jesus. And he said, half of everything I own, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, Basically, I have defrauded anyone. I will not only repay them, but I will repay them fourfold. This was devastation to his financial empire. This was the complete, of himself, undoing of the massive empire that he has created. The the safety net beyond what anyone would need the security, he tore that down on his own. He knew the treasure that was in the field and he sold everything he had and went and bought that field. To make it very clear, we know this was an authentic heart change because Jesus immediately told him, today salvation has come to this house. They didn't even go in his house yet. And yet Jesus said, salvation has come here. So one more time to make it very clear. Does the rich man need to be humiliated to accept and receive salvation? Yes. Because it means giving up letting go of your hold on all you have and say, God, it's yours. All I care about is that I have salvation. And I will say, does God often tell you, give it all up and become poor? No. But what he does do is he says, give it up to help others. Because I am your security, I am your salvation, I am your safe place, I am your strength, your refuge, I am all you need. And whether we like it or not, riches steals our heart clinging to Jesus for our security and our salvation and our strength. He rejoiced in his humiliation. Kids, I have a question for you. Have you ever been happy and and yay when you tell your parents that you did something wrong? No? You never had a big smile and you said, I did something wrong. You shouldn't. That's good. You're not supposed to do something wrong and be happy about it. But you are supposed to admit. You are supposed to be honest. If your parents say, did you do something wrong? You say yes. (laughs) Hear that. Tell the truth. But there is something significant and special and unique about when you receive salvation, when God gives you a new heart, a new spirit, you rejoice in humiliation, because it's all about boasting in God, in salvation, and what God has done for you. You say, I have Christ, and that's all I need. Because saying, I have Christ, means I am free from the bondage of sin. I am free from all the things that hold me and bind me. I am free from fear of death. I love the stories of missionaries who go and when they are threatened by other villagers saying, if you keep preaching Christ and the gospel, we're going to kill you. And they say, okay, not that I want to die, but between telling the gospel and I'm going to die in the process, this wins. If you threaten death, I'm not going to stop doing it because that's literally why I'm here. Otherwise, why am I in another little village off in the middle of Africa telling people about the gospel if as soon as somebody threatens me with death, I stop? And even better is I've literally heard the stories of missionaries who that happened and when they said, I'm not going to stop, you have to kill me. The people making the threat came to Christ because to the world That is the greatest threat they can offer is, I'm going to kill you. And when you say, okay, how can you do that? And then you say, because life doesn't stop here. It's about heaven. Paul himself said, I would rather die and be in heaven than be here. But for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of ministry, for the sake of God using me, I'm going to stay here. He's like, I'm not going to die because God is using me. And if I do die, it was God's will. We have power in boasting, I have salvation. That is powerful. So we're going to end here. I'm not even going to ask, is this message speaking to you? Because I know it is. Because every time we preach The Bible, if we are preaching it right, we are preaching the gospel, and I know that speaks to you. Whether you're a Christian or not, our lives are always being transformed by the gospel. Our redemption church values reflect this. We want to see people go from blindness to God's wisdom, from loneliness to grace-filled family, from brokenness to redeemed family. And so it may be hard to hear For those of you in here, and you know who you are, but I would ask, if God is speaking to you this morning about a decision you are trying to make, or even maybe you haven't even been thinking about it, what to do with the money you have. Some people are fortunate enough that they are struggling with a decision of buying a new vehicle or buying a new freezer. And I would say, pray through that. Because what if God would actually have you better buy a freezer to give to the food pantry or what is now being called redemption marketplace so that we can better serve our community? What if instead of selling your car for the maximum amount of money, donate it to somebody who is in desperate need of a vehicle? I'm not saying you have to do these things. I'm saying exactly what Jesus said, which is, pray through your decision of, "Is it best to do what I'm trying to do?" or would God actually ask me to do another?" I struggle with that decision too. But it's best for us to allow God to use us as a blessing to others and trust that God will open the door in other ways. All that said, it all starts with salvation, which seems easy enough, but it's not. Jesus even called it entering by the the narrow gate because many and most people are going through the wide gate, which leads inevitably to hell. Yet few enter through the narrow gate. He would ask us, enter through that one. Jesus said, if you would come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And then other places, Jesus is said that when we are Christians, we will be like him in his suffering. So he doesn't say, if you become a Christian, you will be like Christ in his freedom and ease and comfort. He says, as a Christian, you will be like him in his suffering. In our own strength, salvation is impossible. It cannot be won or bought or earned, but through God, it is possible. And so I would ask you, if this is speaking to you, uh, we're going to pray, and, and I would ask Emily to, to come up, and she's going to um, just have a guitar playing in the background while you give time to, to pray through that um, Everybody bow your eyes, <laughs> bow your heads, close your eyes. Um, it is by faith that we are saved through Jesus' righteousness. So if, as I'm praying, um, if this is you and you feel God leading you to accept that gift of salvation, I would ask you to raise your hand and I can pray with you for that if God is leading you to make a hard decision that seems financially good to you, but God is maybe leading you to go in a different way, if you want me to pray for a decision that you are trying to make, raise your hand and I will pray for that. Or if you are struggling because you are in a hard place, whether that's financially Or whatever, but if you're going through a time in your life right now that is hard and you need prayer for that, raise your hand and I would love to pray for you. I see that hand. Lord Jesus, we thank you again and always for your word, for the truth that is in it. And, God, that you meet us where we are. You meet us in all of the decisions we are making. You meet us in all of the hard places we are in. And, Lord, all of us are struggling or dealing with something. And especially financially right now, uh, God, this is a time of difficulty. But, God, you give us the, the key to contentment. You give us this peace that no matter what is going on, we know we have the joy of your salvation. And God, all throughout scripture, we see people have lost everything, and yet they say, I rejoice in the joy of your salvation. God, I pray that we do not have to reach rock bottom to remember that truth. But God, we give all things to you. Lord, for every brother and sister in here, if they have not received your free gift of salvation and love and grace, I pray that they would. And Lord, for every brother and sister in here who is saved, whatever they are going through, I pray that you would help them to be content and to walk in joy and in your wisdom. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. That is walking with us as we journey with you. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.